If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have my special guest friend. I, I don't know what like he hasn't been on the podcast. First time podcast guest, Dan Maldonado. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to have him on. He's like a high school friend of mine. I played soccer with this guy in high school. He was my high school team captain. Um, so yeah, he was bossing me around in high school, all that stuff. So I'm really excited to talk to him about the English Premier League review week, seven, or week 18 and 19. I can't believe we're already halfway there in the, in the Premier League season. And I'm going to actually get into talking about Dan's soccer playing career. He was a D1 soccer player at Columbia University. Um, and he, I think he has a lot of valuable knowledge that he can impart on the podcast. And I think it's really fun and interesting to kind of go on a deep dive and see what his playing career was like, uh, some of the challenges that he went through, and all the different types of things that he sees um, maybe as a, a more advanced soccer player than I am, uh, where I kind of capped out as a high school soccer player. So I think it's really interesting to see um, the differences in how we analyze the game. So, um, Dan, I'm excited to have you on. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. So uh, pretty excited. <clears throat> I was a little worried at first. You're going to say high school sweetheart. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Me and Dan go way back. I mean, we've known each other since like eighth grade. So it's more than, it's like close to 15 years now, which is insane to me. Grew up in the same town. too. Same town, Wayne, New Jersey, repping Wayne, New Jersey. So we're really excited uh, to have you on. Uh, So Dan, before we like get into your playing career and all that, I did want to talk about English Premier League. And I think there's a couple big storylines that have been coming out over the past two weeks. Obviously, Jose Mourinho got fired a couple weeks ago now, and Man United's had two really good results against maybe not such good competition. Um, But what are your thoughts just watching them play? It seems like they're utilizing Pogba a little bit more in the middle of the field. Uh, What do you see out there when you're watching Man U? Yeah, personally, I I believe that that, that Pogba really belonged to be there the entire time. and I think it's huge, just for the, as you mentioned, not necessarily big time opponents, but it's, I think it's big for the players too, given the the turbulence of the season that to come out of that with a couple big wins. Um, for Pogba, I think his confidence has probably gotten some help with with those results. But yeah, they, they look pretty good. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see with them. Well, I think there's six now on the table. Like yep. they, they're not necessarily fighting for those top four spots just yet. But interesting to see if they'll turn it around, and I'm hoping they do. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for them. It clearly, Mourinho being there at least long term wasn't going to be the solution. So interested to see kind of how that plays out. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious to see like how they utilize Pogba going forward because he did not feature in, in this Man U team for the past month or so, and maybe he just kind of quit on Mourinho and decided like I don't give a crap about this guy anymore. I'm I'm out on him, and now that Skullscar, who's the new manager, has come in, he's kind of bought into uh, 
uh, Skullscar's way of playing um, at Man U, playing a little bit more direct and playing more their style of a little bit more attacking football, which is a lot more, I guess, what we've known of Man U, and it's exciting to see them play like that in comparison to where Mourinho sort of sat back and waited and absorbed a lot of pressure and then counterattacked. So they've been a little bit more aggressive in that way, which I found, which I find really exciting to watch. Even though I'm a Liverpool fan, it's exciting yeah. to watch and see Man U be that good. Um, because when Man U's good, like it kind of drives the Premier League and makes it really exciting to watch. Yeah, <clears throat> it, the the Man U brand has always been. Um, a mainstay, right, in, in the Premier League. So I, I feel like it's always been kind of weird as of late seeing them struggle. So it definitely is exciting there. And kind of to go back to Pogba, too, I mean, I was I was high off his performance after the World Cup. Like, he really was a... He was, like, one of the best players yeah, in, some for of France. The, yeah, some of the plays he made, some of the, like, the balls over the top he'd make uh, was pretty impressive. So it's I, I'm, I'm excited to see him the rest of the season. Yeah, and I was really impressed, especially with Pogba because he's a bigger guy like 6'2", 6'3", and the amount of skill that he has on the ball is extremely impressive to to move the way he does and it seems like how light on his feet he is and how creative with the ball he is. It's just impressive to see a bigger guy move like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With, with that frame and being able to do what he does is definitely unique and, and a talent that shouldn't go to waste. So, uh, yeah, it'll be good going forward, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I mean they beat... Cardiff 5-1 and then they beat Huddersfield 3-1 these past two game weeks so it's not like they've them they've been playing top top level competition in the Premier League but I think it's I think overall especially talking with Manu uh fans uh my friend Hedjun and my friend Tyler who are diehard Manu fans they're they've been super encouraged to see this type of attacking football so I think they're kind of encouraged the way this team is moving forward. Um, I'm happy to see them being somewhat sane now um, because they ha they're not losing their mind, pulling their hair out because of Mourinho. So in that way, it's been good. But hopefully as a Liverpool fan, they start <laughs> struggling a little bit more. I mean, they have a couple more easy fixtures coming up, so it doesn't seem like those struggles will be there anytime soon. But I think there's a big matchup coming up between them and Tottenham. And I did want to transition to Tottenham a little bit They've been on fire lately, and they've risen to to second spot in the table right now. Son Heung-min, not being a Korean like diehard fan or anything, he's been amazing. Like probably one of the top candidates for Premier League Player of the Month with the scoring output that he's had. He's had like six goals in the past six games or so, and he put up another two goal performance last in the last game week during boxing day yesterday um against i think it was bournemouth they won 5-0 and they've been particularly impressive they beat everton before uh the game week before that 6-2 so they've just been like an offensive juggernaut being able to see all these offensive players get integrated like this has been particularly impressive have you seen any of tottenham play and like what what you think about their playing style slash their chances of possibly challenging um, for the Premier League title? Yeah, I've seen a lot of them lately. They, um, the, 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 their top, their top guys there, Kane especially, and um, and your boy, 
<laughs> they're both playing at really good, uh, really good uh, level right now. Getting and the past couple results have been like uh, some. Um, they've been scoring a lot, so it's good to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to plug quickly my my boy over at Everton, Yerry Mina, getting that goal. Yerry um, <laughs> Mina in, in his typical fashion, right? Just uh, the g- header, getting that header, that powerful header. And I also think it's important for him as well, just because <clears throat> I I've watched a few of his games prior to that and he hasn't been playing too well i think mm-hmm. not as controlling a center back as he would want mm. and not as well as he probably played in the world cup so i'm pumped to see him getting a goal and hopefully helping with his motivation there mm-hmm. um but yeah g- going back to your original question i think tottenham's playing really well always an exciting team to watch and it's the, the race right especially with man city kind of dropping a bit yeah uh, interesting to see how uh, how liverpool and tottenham will kind of fight it, fight it out of top yeah i mean i mean not to, I, th- I feel like a lot of people have been overreacting in the media in terms of Man City's drop. I, I mean, they have had three losses in the past four games, which right. is pretty detrimental to where their position's at because they were leading four weeks ago. But to be realistic, they're only one point behind Tottenham. And I think a lot of people are now counting it out and saying, like, it's only a two two-man race between Tottenham and Liverpool and I think it's a little short-sighted to kind of think like that because of the because of the talent that Man City's had and transition transitioning to Man City they have struggled for three out of four games um do you see anything out of this this team that's been I don't know can speak to why they're struggling over the past couple weeks now I I personally I don't think so I can't put my finger on it honestly but um, kind of to your point, I don't really think it's something people should be screaming about, right? I think they're still like 14-3-2, whatever the record is, but I think, they're, think they'll be just fine. It may just, for now, just be a lull. I really don't think you're going to see them kind of uh, crashing down the rest of the season, especially with Pep at the helm there. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. And personally, I, I can't think of anything, but uh, it's also could be just I haven't been watching as much as I would like to lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, from what I've seen, and uh, at least I, I don't think I've seen anything there. Yeah, I mean, the things that I see, I think, like, the Chelsea loss is somewhat defensible because they're playing at Stamford Bridge. Mm -hmm. It was an away game. Chelsea's always a tough matchup for them, um, and they're one of the perennial top four teams. But their last two losses are to Crystal Palace, who hasn't had that great of a year this year, and to Leicester, who's solidly mid-table. And I think watching them it seems like their chemistry is just a bit off. And a lot of people and pundits have been pointing to a lot of the changing in rotations of players because they have so many talented guys um, in their starting 11 and then counting their 18 and then even deeper than that. They can just kind of plug in all of these guys. They have Mares, they have like Bernardo Silva, they have Kevin De Bruyne, they have like all these dudes and attacking guys, Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané, that they can play. And I just feel like Pep is kind of trying out these combinations and he isn't hitting in these right combinations. And as a soccer player, you kind of have to build up some tor- some type of rhythm and chemistry with the players on the field. And if he's not allowing these players to be able to do that, then it disrupts that rhythm. And I don't know, I'm sure you felt it during your soccer career. And if you had like, and Danny was a, a like a center back, I guess, in, in college and in high school, 
like if you had a center back partner, a different center back partner, you get a different, uh, like everyone plays differently and everyone ticks differently. And I think that's what Man City has been struggling with in terms of, oh, I don't know if uh, Raheem Sterling's going to be making that run out wide or through the middle of the field. And I think that's where some of the struggle has been happening offensively. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I, I see your point there and <clears throat> definitely could be attributing to why they uh, are, are struggling. De- definitely, if this were happening in the back line, I think it'd be it'd be greater repercussions, right? I, I think ha- having a stable back line is, is much more important than up top. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely agree with your point there. Yeah, and I mean, I think we sh- the last team I did really want to hit on is obviously my team, Liverpool, who's <laughs> been on fire. Um, over the first half of the season... Um, we are at the halfway point, 19 games in, and they're leading by seven points. And um, the stat has been mentioned to me countless times throughout the past week or so, but eight out of the past 10 uh, Premier League champions have been the ones that have been leading during Christmas or after the Christmas game. And the two only two times that they those that team did not win was both times was Liverpool so that is both a great statistic to hear because eight out of eight out of ten times is a great statistic but the only two times it didn't happen was Liverpool so that's somewhat worrying and it also is a reminder for me that Liverpool's not out of the woods yet even if they are seven points clear they have a they have a huge game against Man City coming up in two weeks. Arsenal's next week. Um, so these two matchups are, I feel like, going to determine whether or not this title race is going to be blown open or if this title race is going to be a lot closer coming in the, uh, I guess, stretch months coming into play. Yeah, I if <clears throat> they're able to get this Man City result, and for you guys it's probably fantastic timing. And, and the fact that they aren't too do, doing too well right now. Right. So yeah. it, I think it'd be huge if you guys get a result there, kind of further mm-hmm. separate yourselves from from the rest of the group and and potentially make this more of a two-man race, right? Yeah. The, these next few games must be one to be able to kind of solidify that. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know that stat. That's, that's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Everyone, so like everyone knows that I'm a Liverpool fan, so I've been hearing it on Facebook Messenger <laughs> um, in person. We have... I have friends that are Tottenham and Manchester United fans, so they've been throwing it in my face, like, oh, is Liverpool going to choke it away again? Like, is Steven Gerrard going to come back from the dead and slip again? (laughs) So it's just all this stuff that is coming up and causing me a little bit worry, but, like, everything on the field hasn't shown any signs of concern at all. Like, I feel like the front three right now, Salah, uh, Mane and Firmino have really got mm-hmm. it clicking right now. Um, Salah's kind of turned it on over the past co- couple games, I would say, two to three weeks or so, and it's been really impressive to see s- him recapturing some of the form that he had last year where he really broke out. Um, and I've been really impressed with like the back line. They've only given up seven goals in 19 games yeah, in the Premier League. That's really impressive. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's... Especially with all the goalkeeper troubles that man or or <laughs> I keep talking about other teams, Liverpool has had last year with uh, Lorius Carius in in a big matchup during the Champions League final. 
like it's reassuring to have a goalie that they can rely on. Like I think we were texting earlier today or two days ago about how comfortable Allison looks on the ball. He does, yeah. Yeah, so it's been like really, really fun to see a goalkeeper play with his feet, kind of act like a sweeper back there, honestly, right? and be this guy that is really dictating play out of the back and really controlling that play, playing a little bit more possession-based. Um, and when they do lose the ball, they've been super frenetic in being able to try to get the ball back, which has been super impressive to me to see. My only concern playing that high-pressing play is them kind of losing their legs in the second half half of the season just because of how much of a strain that might take on the squad's fitness, stamina, and if Liverpool has a, enough depth to combat that. Yeah, I think that'll be on the coach to, to gauge to gauge that and, and uh, make the proper adjustments. But for now, it's working. I don't think they have to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, your boy Shakiri coming in here and there. Is Yo, the, he's, he's, doing, he's looking good too. He's, he's, he's looking good, man. He's he's doing all right. So yeah, aside from your top three, having that guy there as well doesn't hurt in case one were to have a bad game. But yeah, you guys are well in the machine right now. And, and like I said, if anything needs to change, I think Jurgen will will take care of that. Yeah, and I I think that's yeah that's probably the only concern I have as of now. There's not much many areas of concern other than possible depth because a couple of guys have gotten hurt on the mm-hmm. back line. Joe Gomez has gotten got gotten hurt. Um, I think uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold just coming back from injury at right back. So it's a little bit worrisome that they have to plug some holes there on the back line and not getting the continuity like you were alluding to before uh, in regards to back lines. But I think if they're able to kind of weather the storm over the next month or so, I think they should be able to really, really get a firm grasp on the on the Premier League um, title race. And I'm hoping they don't choke this year. <laughs> um, but like all my friends, all my friends have been asking, like, oh, are you finally going to believe in this team now? And I'm like, no, n- hell no. Like until they actually hold the yeah. trophy in their hands. I am not gonna believe it until I see it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the precedent is there for you to not to not to believe, right? Obviously, you care for your team and you want to do, want to win, but yeah, it's I definitely feel that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're like 18 minutes in now, and I did want to talk. I the real reason why I brought Dan here um, was to talk about his soccer playing career, and I found it fascinating because like we've we've always had private conversations about like our soccer playing experiences, uh, like how much fun we had playing travel soccer growing up, and then also the experience of playing in high school, playing at a pretty competitive high school uh, level, and then Dan played in an academy system as well, and like what that like that level of rigor was like, and then also the college experience as well. So I think he offers a fresh perspective that I can't offer because I didn't have the requisite playing experience to do that. But he, I think, offers a lot of cool insights into, like, where where U.S. developmental soccer is going. Um, and in the greater picture of things, like, what he thinks of, like, the academy system, like, the U.S. men's national team, if, they, if you think they're doing it right. So I'm going to kind of delve into a lot of those questions. But the first question I did want to ask, Dan, is, like, how you got started playing soccer and, like, where this love of soccer came from. I mean, I feel like I know the answer because I see his dad all the time. 
um, and his dad's playing soccer all the time. But I'll let him answer that. Yeah, I think the first thing to note is is really the the South American roots, right? Dad from Colombia, mom from Peru. Uh, soccer is basically a, a non negotiable in any South American household. Uh, so it kind of stemmed from that. My my dad also uh, grew up playing. He play, played in college as well. Uh, still plays a few times a week, which is absolutely insane that he does that at the age of sixty, almost sixty. Um, he might <coughs> kill you if you if you didn't add the almost sixty part. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Um, yeah, it just came from that. It's kind of funny. I actually weirdly wanted to play baseball when I was super, super young. And my mom was like, all right, go tell your dad. And she thought he was, he was going to be absolutely just floored by that. <laughs> um, but after a few sessions of wiffle ball in the backyard, didn't, didn't really catch. And years later, my dad was like, yeah, if you'd played baseball, I probably wouldn't have gone, gone to any of your games. Uh-huh. Which he was kidding, right? He's definitely yeah. definitely always a present father. So it's not like he would not not have been there. But uh I mean, to to have two of his both both of his boys play soccer, I think he's o- over thrilled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I it honestly as as far back as I can think, basically since I could walk, it's it's been soccer, soccer, soccer. A, cu- a couple sports sprinkled in um, since then, but obviously once it came time to decide on the sport to really pursue, uh, it, it was really a no brainer for me. Right, and then like talk to me about a little bit about like your soccer playing experience from probably the ages of like i would say i don't know what what age do you start at like five or six like just so like rec ball so at like so five yeah. or six yeah like peewee soccer. yeah peewee soccer like what is it like bumblebee soccer or yeah. whatever like because everyone's chasing the ball like what was the skill level like that you're playing at like were you one of the ble- better players growing up or were you someone that was didn't pick it up as quickly i don't i mean i don't know uh that part of your skill level and then also like up until probably like right before high school like take take us through like that journey of like how you kind of fell in love with that with that aspect of the sport and stuff like that yeah so the 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 one memory that a lot of my family uh brings up is uh, i don't remember it obviously it was was early years probably peewee soccer but i I had scored a goal when I was running around screaming, going crazy. Ended up being an own goal. So <laughs> from, from that point, my parents were like, "All right, this might not be uh, this might not be the best sport for him, right?" And start looking at like chess teams or something. But um, to be honest, I wasn't good. I I really wasn't. I was uh, your pretty terrible soccer player. Really, parents didn't think much of anything was gonna come from it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was wor- like I was your typical like rec specs type of kid um we got pictures too yeah we, we, have, we have photo evidence <laughs> unfortunately Th- thankfully this isn't a video yeah, uh, yeah so we can just keep to the audio part but um was pretty terrible uh but i it's funny my my brother was kind of born with a lot of talent he has um he, he was blessed with a lot more soccer talent than i was naturally and basically everything i have now i kind of worked for um so there was really a I think athletically I wasn't as gifted as I would have liked, but shot up like six, seven inches one summer, like that kind of helped me out there. And then it, once the growing pains kind of subsided a little bit, I was able to gr- get some more momentum and did like Parisi stuff like that, which is like a speed school more or less, just kind of get, mm-hmm. myso- get myself ready to actually start competing. Um, and then, yeah, I think at like eight years old or so, um, 
I joined uh, a local club team, which is basically like this is pre-academy stuff, like travel soccer, we call it, Mm -hmm. and started to get really serious with it. And uh, it was basically tournaments every weekend, like. Well, it was like the practice schedule like and then like maybe take us through like a typical week from like age eight through 12 or whatever it was. Yeah, it was practice at least a couple of times a week, uh, mm-hmm. probably like three times a week sometimes. Uh, and it was really like some tough practices. Um, my coach there at the time uh, at Pasco was the first team I was at. He he really killed us when it came like to physical fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from running suicides to like running up hills, people on your backs, things like that. Um, and yeah, a lot of it was probably like three times a week or so. Um, and then the weekends, like I mentioned, probably either a, a game far away or a tournament. Uh, really didn't spend much time at home on the weekends just because we we're always traveling. The, aside from our coach, the manager of the team really wanted us to get into all the various tournaments. And as we got older and older, as we got better and better, uh, we started making it to those national tournaments, right? Like the yeah. like Dallas Cup and some of those big tournaments, uh, national tournaments, things like that. We, At one point, we were like number two in the country. So like it was all going really well then. And that kind of brought me through to like around, I think, I think like you mentioned, about 12 or so where things started to get really serious. And at that point, you start realizing, all right, like, is it going to be a full-time thing, like college, et cetera, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think like, for some listeners that are listening right now to kind of like give some perspective on what Dan has gone through, um, through his soccer playing experience is like, if you hear the way he talks about it from like the age of like as early as like nine, 10, 11, like he was thinking possibly like, Oh, this is becoming a lot more serious. I'm playing against guys from like, California and Texas and all these all these people around the country and it's like a really cool opportunity to be able to go do those things and then understanding and making it there being a possibility of maybe playing serious high school soccer serious college like playing d1 soccer and then you know that far reaching dream of possibly being like a professional so I guess at what age did you feel like, oh, it's a real possibility that maybe I can play college soccer and think start thinking about those things seriously? Yeah, the <clears throat> the, f- the first thing for me was always, I guess, or I guess for both myself and my, and my parents was making sure we got, got to a good high school um, before we really worried about college, right? And um, I'd say probably around then, like 11, 12, like 13-ish, um, <clears throat> 14 and kind of just like pre high uh, pre high school. Um, those are very important years in the sense of figuring out um, like where you wanted to go, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But um, a lot, like as I mentioned before, a lot of those big tournaments you're playing against not only people like nationally but also internationals as well. Especially like the tournaments like the Dallas Cup, you're playing against team, like teams from Mexico, things like that. And then I, I also had traveled a lot in my in my um, in my years with soccer, both uh, over in Europe. I had tournaments over in Greece, mm-hmm. uh, did some soccer camps out in Portugal. So I definitely got to travel a bit. And at that point, I'm like, all right, well, I'm like, I don't know, 13, 14. I'm the captain of the second best team in the country. Like things are starting to kind of kick into motion there. And um, it, for me, it was uh, or it was kind of drilled into me that education is always first. So for, for me, it was basically finding uh, a good combination of both a school that would be able to offer a really good education and prep me for college and also the one that was 
also a really good soccer powerhouse, which kind of led me to uh, Adele Barton. So that's kind of... And meeting me. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, like we met in like eighth grade, like doing... So this is how, like, how... I guess pressuring our parents were about how like strenuous academics were. I still remember meeting Dan like in eighth grade and we were prepping for like SAT stuff. And we're in eighth grade yep. and we're taking we're taking like SAT tutor prep tests. Um because like we're we're like prepping to take the exam to get into Del Barton and all that stuff, but then also prepping for the SATs from like eighth grade on. Um, yeah, sounds like you think Dan's Asian at this point, but no, he's not. <laughs> didn't, um, we didn't even talk about Kumon yet. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. So we, so that's like the type of like strenuous workload that he was doing, not only like on the soccer field, but he was thinking about off the soccer field for his future, and that's how we met, like in in that tutoring session and things like that. And then we f- we found out like, oh, we're gonna be playing soccer together in high school. Um, so that was really cool. And our freshman team, like, we did really well. Like, that was really exciting. I still remember, um, I think it was, like, my mom or something, like, not understanding the scale of how good of a high school soccer team that we are on. She's like, so where do I, where's, like, the varsity tryouts, like, freshman year? And I don't think she understood, like, the scope of how good Del Warren soccer was at the time. And I think the coach kind of had to explain to her, like, oh, like, all the freshmen play on the freshman team. Um, Whereas, like, in other high schools, it's not like that at all. Like, some freshmen make the varsity team, um, are good enough to make the varsity team. Uh, But I think that really kind of shaped and molded us to, like, grow closer as, like, a grade um, coming into a new school. And it it was a really cool and neat experience to get bonded to that many guys at the beginning of the school year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um definitely uh i had my my sights set on varsity as well um you're, you're absolutely right i feel like any any kid coming into freshman year wants to break into the varsity team be a stud off the bat right um but like you mentioned i think it was important to get to kind of have all, all of us in the same grade in the same team uh for me personally it was a tough decision because that meant i'd have to basically not play club as much right because i be, because i was relatively old for my age bracket most of the guys I was playing with back on my club team were all eighth grade at that point. Yeah. So it was definitely tough, but I was able to kind of balance it out. And I picked Del Barton over over club ball, but I still, whenever I could, I would still go play games with the with the club team just because, like, at the end of the day, they were also going to help me kind of get to that next level. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like, remember you balancing all of that because, like, um, I don't know, like, the way youth soccer works, it becomes, like, Dan was one of the older guys on his team, so when he was in ninth grade most of the players on his club team were in eighth grade so they're still like playing in u14 soccer tournaments and stuff like that um while he would be playing high school games for the freshman team so like it was trying to balance all of that and i think it gets kind of into the next step of things so like around this time u.s soccer kind of like put this mandate out there that they're going to develop these academy teams and um like so similar to the way you would think of an academy team out in europe like the manchester united like youth teams or the ajax youth teams barcelona youth teams like um and they were trying to implement that system in the u.s so like the new york red bulls had a youth team um and then like all these other 
squads like LA Galaxy. All the professional teams had youth teams like this, and they started to kind of set up this system, this academy system, in those prime years of 14, 15, 16, 17 um, of development for a youth soccer player. And that meant a lot of, I guess, choosing slash, I don't know, that a lot of choosing between high school soccer and academy soccer. Right. Um, and I think with the information that we know now, a lot of people would choose academy soccer right away. Right. But I think even like that was the beginning of it, I think, during our time when we were in high school. And there was a lot of like questions as to what is this system? What does it look like? Um, and like, how is it going to be built out? So what was like the process of you trying to kind of decide between those two two situations? Because I think you're clearly one of the more skilled players on our freshman team. Um, sophomore year, he went to uh, Dan went to varsity. I was in JV, but like, what was I? I guess what was the thought process? Kind of deciding between that. Were there conversations with your parents about what to do? Um, and like going to school like Del Barton being super strenuous in the class, but then also, like, on the field, it was super cr strenuous as well, uh, the amount of stuff that we had to do on the field. What was your thought process in going through that decision? Yeah, so I was one of the lucky few, or I guess I guess our our classes, our, our people our age, were kind of the lucky few individuals where we actually didn't have to choose, right? Um, mm -hmm. We were able to do both, right. which, which was super cool. And my, my brother obviously had to eventually make a decision to to uh, forego high school soccer, which it's, it's a bummer, right? I feel getting to, getting to play for your school is a ton of pride in that, right? And especially at Thel Barton, I think it's a big uh, big network of alumni that played played sports. So to, ha to have to choose to not play a sport at, at a big time school like that, I think was a tough decision for my brother. For me, I got lucky, uh, we didn't have to do that, but kind of getting to, I guess you'll probably get into this in a second, but kind of, mm -hmm. uh, in, kind of transitioning from that, um, the transition from like Pasco to the Red Bulls is actually pretty interesting. Um, and I assume you're probably gonna ask about it anyway. So I figured I'd kind of go into it. Um, they essentially approached us. So like I said, Pasco is doing really well. Um, Number two team in the country yeah, right. for your age group and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, this is I'm the hot shot center back. I'm, I, th I think life is great, right? Um, and yeah, the Red Bulls approached us essentially saying, hey, uh, we, we, we really like your team. We essentially just want to acquire you guys and just have you guys be like our U14. I think it was a U14 team. Uh, they had one, but they weren't very good at the time. So they're like, why don't we just take a team and just make them ours? I, I still remember to this day a meeting that um, our coach at the time, our Pasco coach, had with us and all the parents saying, hey, great opportunity. Um, and I, they, were, they were really able to cater kind of to concerns that both the players had and, and the parents had, right? Mm -hmm. On the player side where like, hey, now you're affiliated with an, a, a professional organization. Uh, you're you're going to be guaranteed a lot of cool things. Like we're going to pay for all of your uh, travel, all your meals on travel. You don't have to worry about paying for tournaments. And that's where it kicked into the parents too because obviously playing travel soccer can be a very expensive um for families so especially in the u.s yeah especially in the u.s and it's it's weird right because like it's only here in the u.s where you have like the pay-to-play model mm. other countries basically they're, they're gonna fuck they're gonna take you on on board and basically uh take care of you um pay for everything yeah, assuming, yeah. You, assuming you get some kind of contract right so the red bulls are coming in kind of offering the same thing uh more or less so kind of making the switch over was pretty cool i mean um i ended up playing with with 
with guys like like Juan Agudelo is probably the probably the most notable uh, name that was on my team. He was on the U.S. Men's National exactly, team. Exactly right. He's in the new things Gun- like that. New but revolution like, now, yeah. Yeah, and there's like players from that team that I remember Dan playing with, and I recognize on like Saturdays, and I'm like, oh shoot, Dan played with that dude or played against that guy, and like being able to see that is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a really cool experience. Um, I, I, I'm always proud of being associated with with their program. Uh, I think it, it really has. Um, you've probably seen the benefits of it now, right? With with the, the New York Red Bulls professional team having some of the, the youth youngest, guys, yeah, yeah, some of the yeah. youngest talent, some of the best homegrown talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really all it really all started from like back the kind of like putting those roots in place, uh, right? Way right. back when. Yeah, and. I think it's really fascinating that like they've kind of tweaked a lot of the model. Like now, like kids have to usually choose like I think around their junior year um, whether or not they're going to be playing for that uh, academy team because it's like a U sixteen academy team, I believe, and a U eighteen, correct? Right. Um, so you kind of have to decide whether or not to play academy or play high school ball. But during our time. You, you could balance both. Right. And I think it becomes a really tough decision for a lot of these kids because of what Dan mentioned of playing for your high school with the pride being associated with that. And honestly, a lot more fanfare, I would say, um, associated with that. I think a lot more, I would say, non-soccer people would be like, oh, you play for this high school. Wow, like you do this and that and that. Like you've won this amount of games, whereas like if you're playing academy soccer, there's not so much of that as much, I would say, like within the broader community. But like if you're like in the soccer community, you're like, oh, wow, he's on the academy team. But I think the struggles between choosing that that and then whether or not to because I think um, right now a lot of college coaches exclusively go to these academy tournaments and academy games and showcases, uh, yeah. and showcases to see the talent that's being played on the field. And like, if you're playing high school soccer, it's very difficult. I would say not very difficult, but a lot harder to get recruited playing on high school soccer teams exclusively in comparison to playing academy as well. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating decision process that I see a lot of like youth parents kind of go through um, and decide and see what they have to deal with and I mean I I coach high school girls soccer and there's like like they don't have that same similar system but I think they're thinking about implementing that system in the future and like you even see the struggle there of like whether or not to pursue what what types of like training methods and things like that to pursue so it's really fascinating to kind of be a part of that and see that aspect of stuff but getting back to like the high school soccer stuff dan decided to continue on and play high school soccer he played three years on varsity i was the scrub that played one year but it was it was still like a really cool experience to be able to do that especially our senior year to play play with each other again after not playing with each other for the past two years, um, kind of like, I guess, like speak about like that high school experience. Like you're a high school captain, um, your senior year, being able to kind of like early in your life 
lead guys. And you mentioned being a captain of that, that U14 club team. What, what did you learn from that high school experience of like being a captain, leading, leading guys like same age as you and trying to, I guess, like get the best out of us? Yeah, definitely. It was um, the high school experience was was a lot of fun, right? The as exciting as it sounds to make to make the team as a sophomore, that really was just riding the bench, right? We we actually had a really good team that year, um, had some really good results, um, beat St. Benedict's that year uh, at home, um, which is one of like the usually one of the best teams in the nation. Yeah, and uh, that the current U.S. men's national team coach went to St. Benedict's, and like yeah, that's a nationally recognized program that's usually number one in the country in soccer every single year right and and at, at one point in the season i think we were like top five in the country mm-hmm. because of that win and et cetera. and we had a really good year um yeah so my sophomore year was a lot of bench right um which obviously it was it was a bummer right it, especially coming where coming from uh, my soccer experience up until that point i was always starting i was always playing i was always one mm-hmm. of the top guys it was definitely a humbling experience but you always have to kind of it's in due time you get you get your you get your chance and uh, junior year I was able to kind of start and and from there kind of never lost that spot. Um, being come or playing center back, playing in the back line, I feel like has always kind of had some kind of leadership quality to it. Right. Uh, always kind of ensuring the the formation of the team is correct, kind of bossing guys around, yelling around. So I always kind of had that um, uh, role organically. Um, I guess taking on a more formal approach, uh, especially my senior year, uh, it was it was pretty cool, and, and I think also as well pretty humbling because at the end of the day, it, it was good to kind of w- play with all my teammates that I played with before, uh, and kind of all of us, especially the seniors, kind of stick together and and see if we can kind of see their team in the right direction. Right? We didn't have the yeah. be- we didn't have the best season possible. Definitely um, not. Yeah, especially c- with all the success that Double Iron Soccer's had pretty much after us yeah. but yeah we didn't have the best season that we probably could have yeah. yeah and not that not just that season either right like yeah our our entire times there we didn't win a state championship we we, we got pretty close a couple of times to making it to the final but um it was it was a really good experience um mm-hmm. i i think since since my soccer days especially like competitively i've have kind of been uh, in the rear mirror i feel like uh, it's given me more of a uh, collaborative approach when it comes to the workplace uh, and also always wanted to be a leader, always wanted to kind of pump people up. Um, so as a person, I think it helped me grow. As, as a player, definitely was a unique experience, and I was honored to kind of help lead the guys there. It's, I think it's always cool to kind of say you were a captain at a pretty big school. So, mm-hmm. So one of the questions that I had was kind of like outlining the differences between academy soccer and high school soccer, and even getting towards like the tactical s- side of things in terms of like what was the mo- what was the focus when you when we'd be playing so- high school soccer in comparison to some of the academy soccer games that you would play yeah so high school typically um it's really just about winning games right and and not that other leagues don't want to win games either it's just it's just re- that's really what is the motivation, right? So the development of players may not necessarily be there, right? It's really just figuring out the best formation to try and get a W. Um, and that's, if, if, I mean, it, for kind of rallying a team together, having school pride, I think it's a great, great approach. Um, what I think really um, di- was a difference uh, with the academy and all these coaches they were bringing in on, on that 
uh, on that side of things is really the they wanted to develop players, right? Because at the end of the day, right, they wanted to bring in these players, all these homegrown players, and try to eventually flip them, right? Like almost like property where they wanted to be able to kind of have uh, big time signing, big time transfer fees. So the it was just a slight um, difference in focus, I think. Not again, mm-hmm. not that they didn't want to win games, but more or less it was really worrying about the development of the players and, and trying to pick out uh, those certain few that they believe would be kind of the future of the team and eventually go- going on. Yeah, and I think you kind of saw that in, like, the structure of some of the – like, I, I've never been to academy practice, but some of the structures of the practices, I'm sure you could kind of see, like, uh, the focus on individual development, um, per se, comparison to maybe, like, the high school game where that wasn't the prime concern, I would say. Um, I mean, they they, were, they still want to develop players, obviously, to kind of contribute on f- as when they were upperclassmen, but I th- I don't think there was the long term focus in comparison to academy soccer. Yeah, and, and a big difference I saw, especially in practice, um, that you kind of touched on, is the difference in how um, fitness is really developed. Right in, mm-hmm. hi- in high school, I feel like most of the coaches is like, all right, we're gonna go run thirty five miles this week. We did a lot of running. Yeah, on our team, we and, did a lot. And not that fitness is is a bad thing, right? At the end of the day, it, it's a sport that requires a ton of endurance. But uh, f- high school, I saw that a lot of that, a lot of the coaching mentality there was like, "I'm going to run you guys until you can't walk anymore." Right? Over on the academy side, everything's with the ball, um, mm-hmm. and, and the belief there, and I think they were um, spot on, is that you, you, the more and more you play with the ball and um, you're, you're, the fitness is going to come. So the I feel like it was um, really focused on the individual development, like you said, but also like a lot of just um, getting touches on the ball while also getting the fitness in there. Uh, a lot of like uh, keep away, uh, small uh, five aside stuff like that. Yeah, like five e twos and like it five was, five five v five type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I think it was a lot more technical mm-hmm. um, than, than than the high school ball. Yeah, and I think I think I even saw it too, like the improvement that you had over the years, like when you would have this extra training. Just even like it makes more sense. Obvious, it makes sense. Obviously, if you have more training and you're playing with the ball a little bit more, your touch is going to be better. Uh, first touch, like all this type of stuff, in comparison to guys that maybe didn't play academy soccer or just played travel soccer on the side, there, there was a big difference there. Like, the difference could be seen in terms of, like, oh, like he's getting extra reps with the ball. Yeah, and as aside from just touches on the ball, I think just kind of awareness of where you are on the field, awareness of the players around you, and also getting ready to kind of play the next level, the, the, the pace that the, the game moves at. Mm-hmm. Um, at the next level is very different, right? So getting getting prepared for that as well. Um, yeah, it's, I, I just overall, all of those things really just kind of encapsulate kind of why it was a bit different from, from high school games. Yeah, yeah. And I think men- mentally too, like you start thinking a lot quicker. Like the game slows down, but mm-hmm. you're thinking quicker, right. which, is, which is like an oxymoron in a way. But things are moving quick quicker but you see the game a lot slower and right. better and i think that's some of the handle that you get by playing more more games um getting uh, developing that skill tactically because i don't think i think a lot of times people just kind of see the individual skill that m- a player might have on the ball but 
doesn't understand how to play the game in terms of, okay, this guy is making a run, so he's opening up space um, in order for his teammate to be able to take that space on and then push forward and really being able to create space for his teammate. Um, being able to understand and like extract different lessons like that maybe might not be taught on most high school level soccer teams, but it's really a point of emphasis, I would say, in higher level soccer um, teaching, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we obviously went to a high school where soccer was a pretty big thing. So we, yeah. were, we were exposed to not only um, quality coaches, but also quality players. And, Agreed. Yeah. And like people knew how to play on their high school soccer team. Right. So and a lot of them were playing club ball before mm-hmm. before Del Barton. So we were lucky in that sense. I feel like most people playing high school ball aren't necessarily lucky. And uh the players there are really just playing just because they want to play high school ball and they're maybe not necessarily looking at college level or even looking at above that, right? Right. The academy, anyone who's playing academy for the most part, at the very least, wants to play college ball mm. um, and obviously go, go on from there. But you don't really see anyone playing academy just for fun at that point. Right. So I think that kind of transitions us to college soccer. And I guess like at using that transition, like you want to, Talk to us kind of about like the recruitment process that you went through getting recruited to Columbia, playing for Columbia and like whether or not you always knew you wanted to play college soccer, whether or not you um, felt like you had a chance at playing college soccer um, all the time. Because I know a little bit of your story, but why don't you kind of dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, 100 percent for me kind of realizing at the age of 16, 17 or so um, that I wasn't going to play professional soccer kind of settled in, right, at that point. I mean, I, I was doing okay, right, but it, it just personally, I, I didn't think it was going to happen, right? And it, I think it's a, a decision that some some players may not want to make until later on, and it might be tough to confront. But if it isn't clear already, and um, I, I was raised in a family that cares about education, first and foremost, right? I For me, I like growing up, I wasn't playing soccer unless I was getting good grades in school. And, th- and that was it. Like, uh, so once I realized that, all right, you know what, soccer is not going to be my life my, or my livelihood going forward. Um, it's time to kind of buckle down here and figure out not only where I could play, but I, personally, more importantly, um, where I could get the best education. So, um, kind of getting into that, obviously, the whole recruiting process. Uh, it's it's a lot of not only coaches re- reaching out to you, but also you reaching out to schools they may want to play at. Um, I went to like a bunch of camps to try to get my name out there and um, I didn't always know I wanted to go to Columbia. Um, I definitely knew I wanted to play college soccer though. Um, For me it just felt like just a natural uh, transition in the sense that I knew I still wanted to play competitively. Um, At that time I I didn't feel like competitive soccer was, I wasn't over it just yet. Uh, So it was definitely something that I wanted to do. So once I knew that, as I mentioned, a bunch of camps I went to, um, obviously went to a bunch of showcases. Uh, it's, it's also a lot, unless you're he- being heavily recruited, it's a lot of also kind of shooting letters at the coaches saying like, hey, FYI, I'm going to be at this show- showcase with the Red Bulls, uh, things like that. Um, but then eventually it was a pretty tough decision for me because I was like, all right, I can probably go D1, um, but I most likely won't get that much time or playing time, which for me would have been tough. Um, just mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned earlier, like even getting to high school and not playing that much um, was kind of a bummer. Like early on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
it was it was either that decision or go like D three where I definitely would have played a lot more. Um, Probably started. And yeah, yeah. I stuff, think eventually, yeah. eventually started for sure. Yes. Yeah. So it, I I ended up going the D one route, um, and with that, uh, and not that uh, education was any any different in D one or D three, but with that, I was able to kind of land at Columbia. Um, it's funny the I, I actually technically wasn't recruited. Yeah. Um, my co I, so at that point I wasn't with the Red Bulls anymore. I was playing with a local team in Parsippany. And the coach happened to know the head coach at Columbia. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd visited Columbia. I absolutely loved it. I knew for a fact I wanted to go to school in this, to a school in a city. And New York kind of seemed like the, the most logical choice there. And my coach at the time put me in contact with, with Kevin Anderson, who's a coach at, at Columbia. And Kevin reached out. It kind of came to a couple games. Um, but at that time, it was kind of late in the recruiting process. He mm-hmm. essentially... How it works in colleges, they basically kind of have a certain amount of uh, athletes they can get in a year uh, through the admissions process. So he told me, like, hey, man, I'm sorry, I can't vouch for you in the admissions office. Um, but if you, can, you if you can get in on your own, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, then we can talk about maybe preseason. So I was like, all right, you know what, let's give it a shot. And uh, I applied early to Columbia. Um, somehow this kid got into Columbia. I, I feel let's like. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, like, yeah, I mean. And I think that kind of characterizes and come like crystallizes how important like if you're going to go through this process and try to go to college and play college soccer, it's really important to think about the student part of the student athlete role. And, you know, Dan's kind of reiterated and talked about how important being a student was to him and how important studying was to his family. And I think it just crystallizes like, yeah, at that moment, you know, the coach at Columbia wasn't able to vouch for him because of that process of not uh, of it being super late in the recruiting process. But on the merits of Dan's grades and his hard work in in the classroom, he was able to get into Columbia on his own without help getting help from the soccer coach and that opened the door for him to be able to play d1 soccer um at columbia yeah and it would have been a very different scenario <clears throat> if it was the opposite right where <coughs> excuse me where i potentially maybe wasn't the best student but i was a, a hell of a player right um i know plenty of guys who and ended up deciding on probably going to a school that was a lot better soccer wise, maybe not as, as good academically mm-hmm. because they knew they weren't going to graduate regardless. Right. They knew they were going to head to the pros or edge of the draft after a couple of years. Yeah. For me, I obviously a had no intention and B probably wouldn't have gone anywhere with it. So that's why I decided to go somewhere where a, I, or where I know I'd graduate with a degree that I'd be proud of. And at the end of the day, if soccer had to suffer, it had to suffer just because it, at the end, it wasn't going to go anywhere after that. Yeah. So then Dan ended up, you know, joining the Columbia soccer team, like after he got in through the admissions process, he got in early at Columbia. And then like from there, I guess you guys kind of talked about being like a walk, like preferred walk on type of stuff. And, and then from there, that's what ended up happening. Yeah. Basically uh, once, once I got in, um, much to my surprise and my parents are obviously thrilled, um, gave the, gave the coach a call. I was like, Hey, Kevin, I'm, I'm in. He's like, oh shit, great. Let's uh, bring you to preseason. And we'll go from there, right? So it's like, all right, perfect. It's, um, joined a, joined five other guys who were recruited. Um, one local guy, Dave Najem, um, one of, one of my best friends growing up as well. But um, 
it was it was pretty cool to even though not being necessarily part of the recruiting process still getting in still getting brought into a preseason freshman year typically yeah. if you typically if you don't get recruited you you won't be able to really get onto the team until the spring mm-hmm. uh, after freshman year and be like a walk on your sophomore year yeah so i i I was still super pumped that Kev gave me the chance to be like, "Hey, still come to freshman preseason." Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 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 he knew he knew more about me obviously because my coach at the time had talked about me. He knew the caliber I played at, so I think that's what made him a bit more comfortable. Um, yeah, I went into preseason just like, "All right, give him my all, see what happens," and ended up be, k- staying on with the team. And um, it was pretty exciting to to be with them for for the four years uh, going through school. Yeah, and can you just kind of talk about like the I'd say the college game in comparison to like that next level up from high school, from like even like the academy, like what the what was the change in the level of play in college soccer in comparison to your high school experience? Yeah, the two things, the as we mentioned earlier, kind of the pace of the game, right? It, it definitely got a lot faster. Um, <clears throat> but I think the the part that really hit me was the physicality of it. Um, <clears throat> like being fit obviously was something that I was o- always naturally pretty fit playing soccer or playing soccer throughout my life, but um, it's just a whole new level uh, going to the college. Yeah, some game. of these dudes are freaks. Like yeah, like literally can run like there's no tomorrow type of thing. Yeah, and for some reason my my body's just not built like that. I I I, <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> neither is mine. <laughs> I, I can run all day on the field. Don't get me wrong, but probably not not right now. But yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the day, I could run all day playing, but um, go tell me to run four or five miles, it just wasn't happening. Or I yeah. just I I wasn't thrilled about it. But yeah, just the the physicality part was really uh, something to get to get used to, uh, both being in shape, but also probably putting on a little bit of weight to be able to kind of take the the hits. Uh, of the college game just because that got uh, that that was pretty intense as well yeah um and then kind of like in in college i think a lot of listeners i don't think get that experience of playing college soccer and playing d1 soccer like i think there's a clear i guess distinction in playing high school soccer and then playing college soccer so kind of like go through what it was like typically to maybe like a practice like not even a practice but like how long would you practice for Mm -hmm. um and how like what your schedule was like in college like a typical day um in the life of a d1 soccer player yeah i feel like i was uh hit by a truck uh freshman year (coughs) first semester excuse me um both for as i mentioned before like the physical aspect but uh aside from that um really the academic portion was really tough um yeah and dan's dan did not do like an easy easy i'm doing in quotes like easy (laughs) major i mean he was like an engineering major at columbia which is ridiculously tough like like taking all these science-based classes and then also balancing out that soccer schedule must have been extremely tough yeah, it, the what I didn't realize coming into coming into college that uh, the soccer commitment was basically a full time job, and as you mentioned, kind of balancing that with uh, with an engineering curriculum uh, was super tough. I got absolutely destroyed GPA wise my my freshman fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really was a wake up call um, into like how my life was going to be for the next four years, right? Um, and it was very hard. Like I mentioned, the the hours put put into practice uh commuting back and forth it feels like about a 30 minute ride from from campus 
ended up being at least four, like probably about like from wake up and everything, getting back to class, getting lunch, like four or five hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're probably spending 25, 30 hours. So not quite a full-time job, but getting pretty close to it <coughs> and just practicing. And then if you're also traveling to an away game, uh, et cetera, then it's going to exceed 40 hours, right? Cause you're basically in a hotel, things like that. So balancing that and also going to school, it, it was tough. Um, um, most of my days were either on the field or in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And if not in one of those two, I was in the library. Um, so it was, uh, <laughs> like I said, freshman semester was tough. Uh, <coughs> I was able to get used to it, but it was definitely pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, I think one of the things that I did want to touch upon, which I find really fascinating because I never kind of never experienced this really growing up at you guys, you and your brother got to experience this on a super high level was I think it was your senior year and Louis Louis was who is Dan's brother was a freshman right um we're on the same college soccer team which I don't I feel like is pretty rare and doesn't happen that often like what kind of feeling was that for you as an older brother to be able to see your younger brother join the team and then I'm sure your parents were ecstatic to to see both of you guys um, play on the same college soccer team but what was that like playing with your brother um, because the way I would say the way youth soccer works there's no opportunities to ever play with your younger brother that's younger than you by three to four years so what was that experience like in college yeah he was he was fortunate enough that uh like I mentioned earlier he was, he was blessed with a bit more soccer talent than I was so he actually got ended up getting recruited um <clears throat> the traditional way but my my coach kevin uh he actually approached me before um he was going to like kind of start heavily recruiting the way he's like hey do you care do you mind are you are you cool with it i was like yeah of course it'd be, it'd be amazing to have him on the same team on the same roster same locker room things like that right so uh, i was all about it um mm-hmm. and as i mentioned he got recruited the, the formal way he got brought in uh early on etc uh, he got to kind of experience how the, the true recruiting process works and once he was brought in, it just um, at, he was just another teammate, obviously brother uh, on and off the field, but it's still business, right? Still got to get the job done. And it was exciting to have him there. And my parents were absolutely thrilled. Uh, outside of the soccer perspective, they just felt a lot more comfortable sending Louis off to college knowing that his older brother would be there uh, if he needed absolutely anything. So it was, uh, it was a cool experience having him on the field. Um, love him to death obviously so it was definitely an exciting time for sure yeah and i guess like to get into one more question about like that relationship that you have with your brother and like i mean me and my brother were competitive growing up so what was like what was the line in terms of like maybe let's say if let's say louis had a problem or something like that like off the field and then like being able to compete on the field and having to separate those two things like what was that like for you guys or was it fairly easy for you guys to do no it was easy um Uh we we, we've always been very easygoing we definitely um uh growing up i mean i definitely gave i I made it known that i was his older brother but i since then it's been a very chill relationship um Mm -hmm. nothing really gets in the way of uh our relationship honestly on or off the field so there never was a time where anything off the field affected what happened on um so i i can't speak to that at least but honestly i I think it just speaks to um the bond that we that we have um and that that we've always had yeah 
And I guess like post soccer, because like Dan graduated from Columbia, um, playing and all that stuff. What was what was that transition like? Because I think I mean I felt it four years earlier, not playing competitive soccer when going to college. But I think you kind of got like a you know cherry on top of all that stuff, and you got to experience competitive soccer for four four more years after high school. Um, once your competitive playing days were over, what was that transition like finishing up college soccer and then realizing, oh crap, like I'm not playing, like I'm not playing like a a meaningful game anymore. Yeah, it was, it was different. Um, before I get into like post-college, my, uh, my senior spring was crazy. It was, it was the only semester in college where I didn't have soccer commitments. Right. So you had so much free time probably. Right off the bat, those 25, 30 hours that used to be dedicated towards soccer um, just reappeared. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was crazy. I'm like, what do I do with all this free time? Um, mm-hmm. Like, no disrespect to anybody who didn't play so- a sport in college, but how do you not get, like, a 4.0 and have, like, it just for me, like, I guess dealing with that schedule, um, I had to maximize the time that I had to, to be able to also get good grades. But it was it was incredible. My senior spring was was a joke. I, I feel like I tried the least and got the best grades. Yeah. Um. So from I would if I were to go back to college, I think aside from wanting to play another game, aside from wanting to be with the team again, I think I would also love to redo uh, my senior spring because it was so different, right? I was able to kind of really appreciate uh, just the only academic part. Not that I didn't the other three and a half years, but. That was different. And then post-graduation, um, that summer after, I was playing every day. Yeah. I was I was in incredible shape. It's kind of it's pretty – it was funny. I literally would get home from work. I would throw my running shoes on and run two miles to a nearby field, play pickup for three hours, and run back after. I was in the best shape of my life almost. Mm-hmm. Um, not not doing that anymore. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was – it. It's a bummer sometimes. Yeah. Because there's there's always that adrenaline flow that you would have playing in a Agreed. Com- playing in a competitive yeah. game. Uh, I had some big games in my career, uh, so it's it's a bummer not having that anymore. But I still think soccer is an avenue for me where I can still kind of get that adrenaline flow here and there, and also still um, be able to kind of get away from from anything that might be bothering me in other realms of life. Yeah, and I guess like to kind of like cap off like this whole interview of like your playing career do you still play and like how much do you play still yeah um and all that yeah i probably still play i mean the colder months not as much but um still at least a couple times a week usually i try to um <coughs> as i mentioned earlier it's just soccer something i need uh just for my own sanity right i i last summer kind of messed up my knee was out for a few months and i was pretty depressed not being able to play um so yeah it's for me i'd much rather go play a game as opposed to going to the gym um so yeah i still play a couple times a week i'm playing on saturday with my dad and my brother just just pick up then i'm probably going to play again on sunday at like back in the city so what's nice about living in new york too is there's soccer everywhere mm-hmm. there is pickup literally um all different parts of the city so i I'm, I'm also i guess lucky to be so live somewhere where i can easily pick just walk to a field and, and just play randomly or there are a ton of men's leagues I've played on a bunch. Um, I've played from anywhere to kind of just like uh, 
more social ones where like you kind of go and then go drink at the bar after with with friends or coworkers. which i've done yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is fun which is always fun to do yeah 100 oh, nothing yeah, wrong, yeah. nothing wrong with that i i definitely take it easy during yeah that. right right i'm not gonna be as intense but I, i've done that all the way to um a bunch of the guys i played in college with um they play in a saturday league and i, I play with them once in a while and there it's literally you've either played college soccer or you played pro yeah um so it's cool to have um all those various experience levels mm-hmm. all in one place really where i can kind of well, I, I typically won't go to those saturdays unless i'm in better shape mm-hmm. um but yeah it's fantastic because honestly like we play some of the, some of the best talent you'll see in the city and um I, yeah it, it's as long as i can physically do it i'm going to continue to do so yeah um and i think that's kind of cool to see like soccer become especially through your dad to be see it become like a lifelong sport right um because i think a lot of people after (laughs) playing competitive soccer for so long it becomes extremely tough to just kind of wind it down and play like this pickup game with like people that might not be as talented as you or might not understand the game as well as you and it gets frustrating but it it's really cool to see like that there's a love of soccer that's clear um, within your family and how it really bonds all of you guys together. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, I I mean, there's a couple other quick hitter questions that I wanted to get to, a little bit more, like, just, like, random questions here or there and talk about, like, big big picture, big level stuff about your ideas on youth soccer in general because you've been through all these various experiences of the youth game. So with the way the U.S. men's national team has been going and the struggle to make the World Cup last the last cycle in 2018, which is extremely frustrating for all of us, do you feel like the U.S. – like what are some of the things that if I were to put you as like in charge of the U.S. Soccer Federation for a day, basically taking, taking Sunil Gulati's job or – his former job or whatever, um, what would you do and what would you put in place to, like, improve the quality of U.S. soccer? Which uh, is, like, a huge question, obviously, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I think I think two, two big things I think I would do. Uh, one is continue to invest uh, or invest more in, 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 the, in our youth, right? I think that's something that Jurgen Klinsmann wanted to do. Um, and personally, I think we gave him the boot cause he wanted results now and we're not going to get results now. Um, so investing in the youth in our youth system really, and, and we've done that pretty well. And I think you're starting to see the benefits as I mentioned earlier, continue to do that. Cause in other countries, you mentioned some of the big, the big clubs that do it, but, um, all over the world, it's, it's something we're going to need to do to be able to continue to kind of, um, make the gap a bit smaller when it comes to us versus uh, international soccer. So the first thing is there. And secondly, figure out a way to to make the MLS more competitive. And what I mean by that is really figure out a way to uh, have some kind of relegation um, scenari- scenario yeah. in place. Okay. Um, just so that um, there is a bit more hunger uh, from from all the teams included, right? Or n- not just those looking to tank, et cetera, right? Like, and, and it also gives the, the second division teams like the USL, I happen to know plenty of, plenty of guys who pay, play in that league get, give those teams a chance to potentially move on up to the MLS and see if they can make a make a run for it there so those are two things I would do sounds good and 
some couple quick hitter type of questions. What was your favorite soccer memory? Wow. Uh, favorite soccer memory. Personally, it, this is more of like a theme, I think, as opposed to one memory. But for me and a kind of what is what has been something I can always look back at and kind of be proud of is the fact that I really went from being a pretty terrible player uh -huh. um, to making it to, I, I think, a pretty, um, pretty decent level. Um, so at, like for me personally, I, I think that was a, a big thing for my confidence mm -hmm. um, and my development as a player in general and, and kind of my outlook on soccer uh, and kind of in life really. Right. Um, yeah. So may not be a sexy memory for you, but definitely something I always look back at and I was like, damn, I was pretty bad, but I kind of turned it around. <laughs> so how bad were you? In, I mean, you mentioned the own goal stuff, but like how bad were you? I, I, I just, I, don't, I just, I don't know. I just had like two, like two left feet. Like I just wasn't really good at soccer. Like just like the technical stuff I couldn't do physically. I was kind of like, I don't know, not really there. And then for a while I was kind of lanky because I shot up and didn't quite feel into my body. So, uh, and wasn't really fast or anything right so yeah. it, it was just a combination of maybe not having the physical attributes there but also not really obviously not knowing much about the game either um mm -hmm. and with time i kind of just pushed myself and we didn't talk about it much um at least during this but like i, I went and trained with some of the best people out there to get better and it kind of it ended up helping me play with people older than me things like that so mm -hmm. um i think just in general that that struggle with a person like <clears throat> few years of really getting into soccer kind of helped me become the player that I am today. Yeah, and I, like when I see your soccer playing experience and compare it and think about my own soccer playing experience, like early on for me, it came pretty easy to me. And then I feel like I didn't have the drive or perseverance to work as hard at the craft uh, because I was able to get by with what I already had. And then you caught up and then people catch up who work a lot harder and I think that's kind of what I see in you, saw in you throughout your soccer playing career up until like from like eighth, seventh, eighth grade <laughs> on. I kind of saw like this growth that you had in being able to turn turn it to like something that became a real skill, which was really cool to see. Um, I think another question that I did have for you was when looking back at your whole soccer playing career, is there, is there a player that sticks out in terms of like maybe the best player that you played? Give a shout out to any player that you want uh, in your playing career that you played, played against, any of that type of stuff. Oh boy. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, Juan Agudelo is probably the one that, I, that most people will recognize. Uh, he, he definitely was a, a quality player. Um, funny story I'd like to tell as well is I also got to watch him play back when he's on the U-17 national team. He was actually playing against uh, Brazil, and I got to see Coutinho back in the day, like when he was like a little kid. Yeah. I think he was like 16, 17 at that time, and um, it was really cool to see him as well kind of developing into the player he is today, because obviously now he's like a world-class talent. Barcelona <laughs> guy. Yeah, player. <coughs> Former and Liverpool guy. Yeah. Mind it, you. <laughs> that, that, that as well. Um, the most importantly, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, also gonna see that, but I yeah probably probably Agudelo, uh, a couple college guys as well. I mean my good friend Dave Najem. Uh -huh. Um, it it's been cool, and I mean I've also also played against guys like Sean Davis, stuff like that, like on the Red Bulls, right? So, um, and scattered throughout the MLS and also the USL, plenty of guys there. But um, yeah, they're probably 
those those two probably stand out the most uh, in in that respect. Mm. And I guess another thing that I wanted to get into what <laughs> quickly was what would like if you had to describe your playing style to someone. Like, let's say I was a stranger on the street, and for some reason they're like, describe Dan Maldonado as a player. Like, how would you describe yourself as a player? Um, definitely a, pr- a really aggressive and tough. Uh, defender. Um, I definitely was very physical and and loved to. I fucking hated that yeah. in practice because yeah. he would just body me off the ball, and I'm like 130 pounds <laughs> in high school. While I, Dan wasn't like huge, huge, but he was like like I would say solidly built. So he would just kind of put like easily <laughs> like nudge me off the ball. But yeah, yeah. Um, and I absolutely loved getting into forwards' minds and and literally just ha- having them uh, just knowing that they were going to have the worst 90 minutes of their career coming up against, I guess just really tough defender and also a uh, disciplined center back that could also uh, uh, sp- spray balls wherever he needs to and, and find the next guy. It's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, just like listening to all the, you know, all those attributes, like I re- remembered them in high school, like very clearly where I would just like have the ball and then Dan would kind of be super aggressive coming out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do with this ball? Um, but, yeah, it, it's I think it's really cool for me to kind of like r- see the development and growth of how you became as a player and then off the field as a person and like some of the life lessons that you learned from all of soccer. So, um I mean, we're at 117 now, an hour 17 in. It doesn't even feel like it, but is there anything you want to say to part as we finish up this interview? I mean, th- this was awesome, honestly. I, it was I, fun, right? I, I didn't think... Uh, good time. I really didn't think an hour... I thought you were kidding when you said an hour 17. No, it was really good time. But I mean, a lot of this we've definitely talked about here and there, and um, especially when it comes to like kind of the state of U.S. soccer, but I, I don't think we really dove into much about my my youth career and how i, I kind of went from that all, all the way to columbia it's definitely cool to kind of take a take a walk down memory lane in that respect but i mean this is super exciting yeah so i just want to thank dan for coming on to the podcast um and guys like if you guys like content like this where i kind of like sit down with like maybe a higher level athlete um who played division one college sports like i remember having the interview with my brother who was a division one fencer for harvard i mean having dan on for you know this interview as well like i think you guys get to see and see inside the mind of like what it's like to be at that level and it's really interesting for me to see because i never reach those levels but it's also it's also seems somewhat attainable in some ways because like dan was saying early early in his career playing soccer he wasn't one of the best players at all he was probably one of like on the lower end side of players so it's really cool to see the development and the growth that a lot of these guys have and I think seeing the similarities between my brother and you is like the work ethic uh the amount of work that you and the extra work you have to put in Besides just like going to normal trainings and going to, I don't know, like going to required practices, these guys put in extra work to work on their bodies, work on their fitness, 
And then also like work on their skill work, which is extremely impressive. And the self-motivation that you have to have to do that is are lessons that I really get to see when interviewing guys like Dan and like my brother. So I'm really thankful that Dan's been able to come onto the podcast, share his time with me. Um, it was really cool because Dan's one of my best friends. Uh, and we haven't talked like this, I would say, like sat down and like basically gone like through each part of his youth career. So it was really cool to be able to do that, ask some probing questions. And um, yeah, if you guys like this content, let me know because I know other people that play Division One soccer or Division One sports like Dan's brother, Louie, <laughs> um, and he has a different perspective on stuff. So I think like if you guys like this type of content, just let me know. I'll try to make something happen, get get guys on the podcast. And if you guys like these deep dives and like hearing thoughts on like higher level athletes, I think it's a fun way to get inside the mind of these guys. So uh, thanks for coming on, Dan. And um, be on the lookout for other podcasts. I think this is number 51, believe it or not. So wow. I've been cranking them out since. And we started this podcast during the World Cup um, in June, I believe. So it's been a crazy year because I think this will probably be the last one uh, before the new year. So it's it's been a crazy ride for this past six months or so. Um, really looking forward to growing the podcast itself. And um, I'm just so thankful that I've had people reach out to me saying that they enjoy listening to the content that I've been putting out. So thanks, guys, for listening again. And be on the lookout for playoff podcast next week um, regarding the NFL playoff picture week 17's closing out this week and then we'll probably talk about the NBA with the halfway season mark coming up Dan's a huge Lakers fan so maybe I'll have him on talking about talk about the Lakers uh, next time so thanks again Dan and thanks for listening guys <laughs>